It's Monday. It's morning. And we're moms. Welcome to Monday morning. We're moms. We're two dads. You're a dad now, scones. Listen. Wait, am I a mom <laughs> or a dad? I'm confused. I want to complain about TikTok whole... either way. <laughs> I want to talk about my neighbors cutting my grass or the kids cutting the grass. Kids these days. Can we make a new podcast called Kids These Days? I don't know, but Barbara at that PTA meeting last oh, night. Oh my goodness, she was Barbara a mess. Will not stop. She was a mess. Like, why is she still? Honestly, with I think she was drinking wine coolers before she showed up. I think, I think maybe a little more than that. I think she should have left Stephen a long time ago. <laughs> we know he's not going to his friend's house for poker night. Oh, for I sure. I heard you with Marianne. Marianne, are you fucking kidding me? I know Marianne. I played poker ones. with her on Tuesdays. Now, how am I supposed to do that? <laughs> yeah, well, he's. Uh, hey guys! <laughs> hey everybody! <laughs> welcome to welcome to Monday morning first minute nonsense. Uh, Monday morning macabre, the show where we talk about spooky, scary stuff. Every week we open with the scariest realities we can think of. <laughs> That's one of them for sure. Uh, and that is boy, oh boy, we did we we ran the numbers, we ran the statistics, we <laughs> polled our listeners, and they said moms at PTA meetings is number one spooky factor. That would they need more of? <laughs> Nothing like SUV wine moms to get the get the get the spooky setting started. Welcome for another edition episode. Who who knows how many this is? I don't know. Feels like we've been doing like, this for a million years. I think we're know? coming up on eighty somewhere. I think we're in the s- late sixties, early seventies. Oh, what, but what that episode one hundred two is going to be a fucking banger, uh, though. <laughs> bangeroni alert, dude! Boil up your water, put your bangeroni and cheese in there. Oh, get the little mixing gonna... going in there. Yeah, that powder, that like, ooh, that good powder. Classic freshman year of college, make fun of the kid who almost burns down the building making Easy Mac. Because they don't understand anything. Remember how, it's amazing how dumb I and others are at college. You'd think you'd be able to make like microwaved food slash know how to do your laundry. Didn't, didn't, didn't have it. (laughs) Didn't have that skill set. It's funny because like you trade out knowledge and skill sets so... Like, night and day between my life now and when I was in college. Like, yeah. I, like, man, I can do all that domestic crap so easily, but if you asked me <laughs> to do any calculus, I'd probably throw up. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> I would I would be like, what's an integral again? Oh, yeah. baby, I don't need this shit. If I had to, like, remember homework or tests coming up, I'd probably right. have a conniption. It's like, I threw out 80% of my knowledge to learn about some computer bullshit. And now I'm uh now I'm back to learning like how to be a human being. And my wife is like, I live with a literal child, and I'm like, who me? <laughs> As I lick my incredibly large lollipop. <laughs> you have that little hat with the like helicopter yeah, on it, the spinning hat. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, let's listen, everybody. You have to endure this little bit of fun for us, so we can talk about gruesome, horrible things in a minute. Today, I am going to be bringing scones a tale. A horrifying tale. That's how we do it here on Monday Morning Macabre. One of us brings the (laughs) the tent, and the other one brings the nonsense. The other one brings the, 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 yeah, exactly. The heat. Uh, The heat. We got heat in our tent, you know? Unlike the people at the Outlaw Pass. (sighs) Fucking dude, you got them good. (laughs) Is it too soon for a Outlaw Pass? Dude, if there's... There's a group of people that need to get got. It's them and you <laughs> it's got It's Yuri, Yuri, and Yuri. And the dude with the turnip tattoo. Yeah. That's uh Go listen to the Patreon episode on it. We talked about it. Um, or the regular episode. Today's, too. 
<laughs> or go listen to three parts that we we talk. We've talked a lot about it, and we it's it's wild. Just go do that. Today I'm going to be bringing a tale of moiter. <gasps> moiter. Not only is this a tale of moiter, but it is a uh, incredibly interesting due to what happened. <sighs> well, I think we just have to get into it. Uh, <laughs> okay. Can't talk about it. This is a 2004 <laughs> uh, event. So fairly, Ooh, I mean, fair, in my mind, I was like, that was like three years ago. And I was like, oh shit, that's like yeah, the 80s were 20 ago. years ago until they weren't. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty wild. Um, so tonight we're going to be talking about the, the murderous assaults of Peter and Joan Porco. Okay. Oh my gosh. It's banned. 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 Hey, banned. Ben, wake band. up. Oh, look, Ben sleeping. Wake up, band. <laughs> oh, so cute, Ben sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ben. <laughs> Play it in. Okay, so um, uh, this is a medium.com article. Hell yeah. By Lori Johnston. Hell on June 5th, 20. Yes, Lori. <laughs> written on June 5th, 2020. The murderous assaults of Peter and Joan Porco. In the gruesome world of murder, there is nothing worse than family members who turn on each other and kill. For family members who do so over greed, it's even more repulsive. The Porco case is a particularly disgusting one, not just in how the victims were attacked, but also in what the assumed motive was. In November of 2004, Peter and Joan Porco were like so many other middle-aged, middle-class Americans. They lived in Del Mar, New York, in a comfortable two-story home and worked for a living. Peter was an Appalachian court clerk, and Joan worked as a speech pathologist. They had been married for 30 years and had two sons. Peter was very responsible and reliable, so when he did not show up for work on Monday, November 15, 2004, a court officer was dispatched to the Porco residence on Broccoli Drive to check on his welfare. Which is like, damn... I could not show up for work for like two weeks before anyone was like, yo. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yo, what, what, what's, what's Dar's up to? Is he alive? Like, oh, let's, let's give it a week. Like, <laughs> he'll show back up. He'll, he'll pop he'll, up somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's how you know this dude was a legit employee. The officer was horrified to discover Peter by the front door where he had apparently collapsed. He lay in a huge pool of blood and had endured a vicious assault to the head. A blood trail was noticeable from where Peter had died up to the front door, the kitchen, the hallway, and the upstairs, which is a lot of blood trail. FYI. Yeah, that's a lot of blood. Mm-hmm. The local police were notified immediately in the ser- and they searched the home. They found Joan in the blood-drenched bedroom, lying in bed and remarkably still alive. Oh, she God. Too- yeah, yeah. She too suffered the same grievous injuries to her face and head that her hus- husband had endured. Um, I should probably say... <laughs> A uh, little little graphic uh, violence warning here. We it's this is not this is a this is, this is a pretty brutal attack. So I don't want to. I'm gonna I'm gonna preface this. So if you're like I don't want to hear about the grisly details, consider it hit prefaced. That, hit that 15 seconds a few times. <laughs> Pick uh, a new podcast. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what's up with what's 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 uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson up to these days? So. She too suffered the same grievous injuries to her face and head that her husband had endured. A portion of her brain was actually exposed, but she was conscious. Conscious. 
Detective Christopher Bowdish of the Bethlehem Police Department worried and even expected that Joan Porco would not survive her injuries and asked her if she knew who had attacked her. So he's like, I don't think this lady's going to make it through. Let's try and get any kind of information we can on what happened. Using a nodding or shaking motion of her head along with the moving of her hands, she indicated that a family member had attacked her. She shook her head no when they asked if it was the son Jonathan, and she nodded her head yes when asked if it was the son Christopher. This exchange occurred in front of the paramedics who would later testify. Once Joan Porco was taken to the hospital where she would undergo emergency surgery and be placed into a medically induced coma, the police began their investigation. They quickly discovered that the home's alarm system had been smashed, the telephone landline had been cut, and a screen to one of the windows had been slashed. However, nothing appeared to have been stolen from the residence. Neither Peter's wallet nor Jones, uh, Peter's wallet nor Jones had been taken or rifled. Joan was still wearing jewelry. None of the electronics had been touched, and they also found a fireman's axe in the bedroom. The weapon belonged to the Porcos. Wait. So, okay. So which which son did she give the uh huh to, and which one to did she give the the younger son, Chris Porco, is who, according is, to is the paramedics, the, para- the the bad guy. Yes. And it was a, a an axe attack, which is horrifying. Yes, that's uh, so. We have a couple of those on Monday morning. We come now. Here is where it becomes like an interesting thing that is actually like has been like talked about and researched in like the medical field because something Ooh. very strange happens and is the reason I I was like well, I picked the topic for this week. Um, the blood patterns and trail from the master bedroom to and through the downstairs and out the front door indicated that, unbelievably, after suffering his wounds, Peter had risen from the bed in shock and had moved about getting ready for his work day, as he often did. From stepping into the bathroom to starting the coffee in the kitchen, preparing his lunch, and then unloading the dishwasher. Only after stepping at or briefly out the front door, either to check for a paper or leave, did his wounds overtake him and he collapsed. What? So, he was struck 16 times with an axe. Okay. Head wounds. His body, through adrenaline and, like, shock, carries him through his morning routine. He, like, got ready. He made coffee. That's uh, there's, horrifying. Right. There's other uh, things that, that were saying that he... At the, the imagery of that alone is yes, so scary. This is like an A24 movie. Yeah. There's other articles that I read where apparently he, had, he actually had left the home and went to go back in, realized he had locked himself out, and then found the spare key and unlocked the door to get back into the house. Oh, God. So he did all of this before eventually collapsing and dying of his injuries, obviously. But, like, that's, like, the just insane part of the stories that, like, that is a thing that our, our bodies can do. That's so like, scary. It's it's fucking terrifying. And it's now, like, a thing that is, is, like, studied in medical, like, schools and stuff. And I had heard about this case a while, like, years ago. And I was like, that's crazy and fascinating. And then I saw it pop up on Reddit like a week ago. And I was like, oh, yeah, I totally forgot about that. I should do that for Monday morning wake up. And so here we are. <laughs> so, and this is that. <laughs> and we are here now. We've come full circle. With his father dead and his mother terribly injured, Christopher Porco received a call from a newspaper reporter looking for a comment about the murder. Chris was then a 21-year-old student at the University of Rochester, some 230 miles from Bethlehem. He called the police to inquire that ha- what had happened at his parents' home and was informed that his father had been killed and his mother was still clinging to life. 
the author goes on to kind of talk about how there's like a there's a recording of the call and they say that like chris is like super detached and like emotionally cut off and doesn't seem all that interested in the fact that like his parents were assaulted and attacked which is obviously not a good look if you're trying to be seen as innocent correct i agree (laughs) yeah scones agrees so so the bethlehem police issue an all points bulletin for chris porco this would later be criticized by the defense as the police having tunnel vision but the police were like bro Joan, the mother. Bro, uh, bro, bro, come on. The police just in the courtroom talking to the defense team, bro. But like, they're like, well, the mom like identified Chris as the attacker, so we, you know, we have like a fairly solid lead to 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 base this off of. Wait, so at what point did the mom die? The mom survives. Survives. Okay, so it's not yes. like... Okay, at first I was wondering if the only no. Chris lead we have is her, like, nodding up and down. And no, I was like, yeah. oh, that's so very she, not... She delightful. survives. We'll get... Yeah, we'll get into the details of that uh, soon. So they they go through a bunch of different... Other, like, a bunch of other potential people that could maybe have been involved, but they all come up with solid alibis, and the only person that they couldn't clear was Chris. Um, the author goes on... For years, Chris had been telling friends and classmates that he came from a wealthy family. He spoke of real estate holdings and vacation homes, something the Porcos did not have. When the same friends would ask to see these magnificent homes or one of the vacation homes, Chris would always have an excuse as to why they couldn't accompany him to one of the properties. Oh, that's really sad. Yeah, he's a real asshole. Uh, I think (laughs) it's fair to say. There had also been tension between Chris and his parents with regard to finances and Chris's tendency to lie. He had taken out a loan ostensibly to pay for his tuition at Rochester, but he had used nearly $17,000 of the loan to finance a new Jeep Wrangler. What the fuck are you doing? He's cruising with the top down as a Jeep Wrangler. That's what he's doing. Like, what a basic bitch move. (laughs) (laughs) He's the whole thing for... Lattes and Jeep Wrangler, baby. Yeah, he's like, oh, iced coffee and Uggs, baby. Him and Uh, his friends are going to the beach, (laughs) uh, taking pics. He had also done poorly at school, resulting in the university suspending him. He went to a local community college, but fared no better there. He was touring Europe with friends when his parents found out that that he was flunking out of community college as well. He managed to get readmitted to Rochester the following year, the fall of 2004, by forging transcripts from the community college. What? He told his parents... Yeah, this dude, this dude sucks. Everything about him sucks. How did the fuck do you get away with that? I that's another that's for another day. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want that's too scary for Monday morning. The cop <laughs> is the tragedy of the education system. Next week, Darcy uh, <laughs> talks about all the holes we have in our education system here in America. Crippling student debt, <laughs> children left behind. Next Interest week, rates? Um, <laughs> Monday morning, the cop. <laughs> so. Basically, Chris tells his parents that he was readmitted because a professor had misplaced his final exam from the previous year and because the university's because of the university's mistake, his tuition would be covered, uh, which is like a it's not a fucking Dairy Queen where they flip an ice cream order <laughs> over and you get a free. Yeah, yeah. Like this is but the uh, coupon higher education, says. bro. <laughs> it's like, bro, uh, you didn't get me the tuition in 20 minutes or less. Guys, it's free. Like it doesn't. It's not. That's not how it works. <laughs> Chris covered the lie by forging his father's signature on loan documents. He also opened a line of credit with the bank, again forging his father's signature as co-signer in order to go toward the financing of his Wrangler. Yikes. Dude really likes his Wrangler, (laughs) and I don't (laughs) like his Wrangler. Yeah, it's a bad, it's not a good Wrangler. 
Dude, don't get a Wrangler. Ghost. I'm a Subaru boy through and through. Listen, as someone whose parents owned a Jeep Wrangler for many a year, the clutch went out after a few. It was bad. Just don't get one. The only thing you get out of owning a, a Jeep is you get to wave to other Jeep Wrangler owners and feel like you're part of something. So if you want that, go ahead. That's why I just wave at other Subaru owners and they don't look at me. <laughs> but, but they know. <laughs> they, they know. We're part of the fucking coolest club. Yeah, we're all on the same page. In addition to the acts above, Chris was also stealing property. His roommate's laptop was stolen and Chris suddenly turned up with the exact same make and model of the computer. His parents' home computer had, and cameras had been stolen uh, and they suspect that Chris was involved. So this dude is just like everything he does sucks. He sucks, sucks, sucks. And in addition to this, he also devises a scheme on eBay to scam persons out of money. He listed the very computers and cameras that he had stolen from his parents for sale and then collected the payment for them but had no intention of mailing the items out. When he received emails about the items not being shipped, he posed as his older brother Jonathan and stated that his younger brother Chris, who had listed the items for sale, had died and he did not know where the items were, nor did he have any way to refund the purchaser their money. Jonathan, the brother, whose naval career could be impacted by this type of behavior, attempted to reach his younger brother by phone more than 40 times, and Chris did not return a single call. Yeah. So, we're painting a picture He's of... He's a murderer uh, slash con artist. Yeah, a really, really not good person. Now, things come to a head roughly two weeks before the murder when Peter Porco was notified that the loan Chris had taken out was delinquent. It was then he found out that Chris had forged his signature, not just on the loan for tuition, but also on a line of credit. He also found out that Chris had not paid his tuition with the ill-gotten loan proceeds. Both Peter and Joan attempted to contact Chris by phone. Their various phone calls were not returned by him. And Peter sent his son an email in which he berated him for the dishonesty and told him that if Chris were to do any more of, like, of these such things, Peter would be forced to file forgery affidavits with the bank. And this is like the saddest part because it's just like a dad who's trying like so hard to make his son like be better. Yeah. Uh, P Peter also told his son that he was welcomed back to the family home to resolve the matter. And while he and Joan were disappointed with his actions, they still loved him and cared about his future. That's so, tough to really hear. Sad. Tough yeah, to hear. It's I'm wondering. Tough to hear. In most of our tales here on Monday Morning Macabre, there's a reason people do horrible shit like this. Yeah. I wonder what his was or if there was. Like, you know, you don't I mean, know what could have been covered up or not told or like what kind of childhood he had. I guess. But I mean, like, that's what I'm curious. He's about. seen. You think like that something happened that caused him to start being an asshole. I'm saying there's usually a pattern of that case. I'm not saying there definitely is. I, I it's based on the evidence we have here. It seems like the parents were just like standard suburban nice parents and that they just had a like Jesus of suburbia. Just, it's just a sad like kid that. So. With no other legitimate suspects, the police zeroed in on Chris. His alibi was that he had been at school in Rochester sleeping on the evening of November 14th and waking November 15th to find out about the attack on his parents by the phone call from the reporter. The police believed that he had driven the three hours to his parents' home, attacked them, and then returned back to school without anyone in the dorm being the wiser. They obtained surveillance video that showed a yellow Jeep leaving the university dorm area around 10.30 p.m. It's yellow? Yeah, it's bright yellow. There's a picture of it. The dude is an asshole. Uh, on November 14th, they're returning at 8.30 a.m. on November 15th. They also discovered that while the Porcos's, of burgl Porcos's burglar alarm That's had been smashed... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they had also discovered that while the Porcos's burglar alarm had been smashed, it was broken after it had been manually deactivated. 
Given this information, they believe that Chris had left Rochester around 10.30, driven to Del Mar, deactivated the burglar alarm at 2.14 a.m., attacked his parents, cut the phone line at 4.59 a.m., and headed back to school, returning at 8.30. At some point, either before or after, the, after attacking his parents, he cut the window screen to make it appear as though they were break, there was a break-in. With a three-hour travel time each way, this was absolutely doable. Chris's brother Jonathan, an officer in the U.S. Navy who was in South Carolina at the time of his father's murder, said only a few people knew the code for the burglar alarm system, and Chris was one of them. Police theorized that Chris smashed the alarm panel, hoping that it would obliterate the fact that the code had been entered. Um, So Chris then gets arrested for the murder of his father and attempted murder of his mother, and the trial takes place in July 2006, with the defense arguing that the the prosecution had no forensic evidence linking Chris to the crime, save a tollway ticket with his DNA on it. They asserted that whoever attacked the Porcos would be bloody and no blood was found in Chris's vehicle, nor were there any bloody clothes re- recovered. No fingerprints were found in the axe used to bludgeon Peter and Joan. So Some this was like a return- professional job. Or like not, it wasn't yeah. a professional job. But That's like, what they were the arguing. The tracks are 100% that, like, covered. Yeah, they're saying there's no like actual straight forensic evidence that they can link to. There's no blood. There's no, you know, anything of Chris's directly at the scene of the crime. Uh, some of Chris's fraternity brothers testified that he was not asleep in the dorm lounge as he had stated and a neighbor testified that he saw a bright yellow Jeep in the Porco driveway on the evening early morning of the murder. If you're going to commit murder, don't have a giant yellow Jeep Wrangler as you're like, it's such a, an, like a, a viewable. Definitely don't park it in the driveway. Yeah, there's a, yeah, exactly. Tollbooth attendants that had worked in the cash-only lane said they recalled seeing a yellow Jeep like Chris's pass through that evening with who they thought was Chris Porco in the driver's seat. Honestly, like, also what you just said with the yellow Jeep, like, that's the one car that if a random toll worker who sees a thousand cars is like, I saw that car, Mm -hmm. I'd be like, I believe them. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, right. It's like, I saw that and that uh, Wienermobile. Oh, yeah. Oscar Mayer Wiener. (laughs) The Oscar Mayer Wiener car. Now that's a car worth that money. Hell yeah. So, uh, although there was no direct evidence putting the axe in Chris's hands or putting him in the Del Mar home during the time of the attacks, the jury found him guilty of a second-degree murder and attempted murder. He was sentenced to 50 years to life on each count, with a minimum of 50 years in prison. Chris Porco showed no outward reaction during the verdict or the sentencing, although some said that his neck flushed red. He said nothing, but in the recording of the verdict, the sound of the handcuffs being locked on his wrist is very audible. That's, that's sus. You don't say anything or express any emotion. Yeah. I feel like if I was innocent, I would be f- losing my mind. Um, I feel like if I was guilty, I'd be losing my fucking mind. I think, yeah, I guess either way, you'd be, you'd be showing some kind of emotion. Here's Now, this is already a very like sad, uh, upsetting story, but this is like the, the most heartbreaking part of it is that One of the more surprising and heart-wrenching aspects of this case was that Joan Porco stood by her youngest son during the investigation and trial. She had survived the brutal assault that killed her husband. She lost her left eye and a portion of her skull, but she had survived. After she awoke from her medically induced coma, she claimed to have no memory of the attack, nor of the telling Detective Bowdish that Chris was responsible. Oh, man. Yeah. Wait, that's nuts. Yep. She asked the detectives and investigators to leave her son alone and accuse them of botching the investigation. She got together the $250,000 needed for his bail when he was first arrested, and the two attended the trial together, walking into the courtroom hand in hand. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. That's... Wait. 
I think that's the craziest thing about this whole thing. Is it's pretty wild. The only the main evidence they have is her saying he did it, but then she says he didn't do it. After waking up from a coma in which she doesn't recall any of it happening. So, like, after the attack directly happens, she's like, it was my son. She then goes into a coma, wakes up, forgets the entire incident, and then is like, why are you arresting my son? He's innocent. Do you think she actually forgot the incident, or do you think she's just a mom who's lost everything else except for him? That's the, that's the fucking thing, dude. I don't... It's just so sad either way. Like, both scenarios like, are just so sad. Yeah. She spends six hours in the witness box recanting the twisted path of Chris's lies and actions, the childhood she had with his brother Jonathan, and denied that he was mentally ill. She also testified that she had been frightened on two occasions in the month or so prior to the attack by the presence of a stranger in her driveway. One time at night and once during the day. She stated the police never followed up on this or questioned her about it. So... Kind of sus again. It's... I mean... I think that it's... I I, I don't think it was any kind of, like, you know, stranger or just random act of violence from, like, a crazy person. I think based on the, like, the fact that they have video evidence of the Jeep Wrangler leaving the college at, like, that night and returning in the morning is already pretty damning. Yeah. Uh, the whole burglar alarm being de- deactivated. I think it's pretty safe to say that it was Chris who did it. I mean, he also did a couple other sketchy things. Like he put his toll transponder like under the front passenger seat, which people are like, I think they he was hoping it wouldn't like set off the fact that he was going, you know. Dude, why didn't he just avoid toll roads? That's a That's a good question. And then also on top of the fact of like his history of being like a con artist slash thief slash already bad guy. Yeah, and the the no emotion at the sentencing hearing is yeah, it's not just like, like a, proof, but also is it sways it sways me a bit. Yeah, it picks me up and sways me. It's uh, it's definitely a really sad story overall. I. The thing that I just think is so fascinating about it is the fact that the father, like, goes about his day after he is attacked. That is bananas. It's just, like, insane the, the like, willpower of our brains to just, like, keep going. Yeah, like... like even on autopilot like, is... Yeah, like, the part of your brain that... Like, the fact... I, the, that's, like so clear evidence of like the segmenting of how parts of your brain are responsible for each thing because the part that right. should be freaking out is clearly in uh, dead maybe for him yeah or completely right, exactly. severed it's and like, so the rest of it's still operating it's oh it's just out it's just i don't know it's crazy it's bananas so christopher porco currently is incarcerated at the clinton correctional facility in dan danamora new york and he will be eligible for parole in 2052 Wait, really? That's not a that's not a life sentence. Uh, I th- I mean, he's eligible for the possibility of parole. He is. Well, he was given fifty to life. Uh, I was say, if you killed so, two people, and yeah, then an attempted well, murder on the third. Well, no, it was he killed one person and then attempted to murder a second. Oh, right. He killed the father and attempted to murder the mother. Still. Yeah, it's. I agree. I don't think <laughs> you should be allowed to not be in prison forever. <laughs> but uh, like that's. Uh, so that is the, that is the story. That's the, the, the story of the, 
of the murderous assaults of Peter and Joan Porco. I that is rather harrowing. It's it's very harrowing, and I hope your Monday morning is going to be great, guys. This episode started off so different <laughs> than the way it ended. Yeah, this episode is sponsored by Hello Kitty Island Adventure. Uh, everyone, go check. <laughs> Not Bombus Socks. Looking at you, Bombus Socks. <laughs> All right, Square Space. <laughs> Valentine's Day is coming up next year. Where's our mattress money? <laughs> anyway, yeah. So that's 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 the case. I it's fascinating. It's wild. It's scary. Horrible. It's definitely ve- definitely 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 macabre. It's very uh, very recent. Yeah, uh, fairly recent, and it's just a, just a terrifying tale. And that's what we do here. So you came, you heard, you conquered. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> like Yoda. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Seagulls. <laughs> Stopping now. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you guys want to get more content, check out the Patreon. Uh, make sure to follow us on our socials. Tell a friend about the podcast. Rate and review on your apps. The reviewing really helps. So if you're like, hey, I've listened to 50 some odd episodes of these two clowns being chuckleheads. Yuck, yuck, yuck. Help us out. Make sure you uh, make sure you you know you review you review and on your, even your app of choice. Even if you just think it's a three out of five stars, pretty good, but not for me. <laughs> we'll take it for a hundred percent. We'll take it. <laughs> so thank you guys for listening. And oh, check out the merch, new merch. Oh yeah, check out the new merch. We got a new shirt up there, pretty sweet design. I think you guys might enjoy. So uh, and also, uh, despite the rumor going around, we're still taking Patreon members. The exclusive club is opening up. Feel free to <laughs> yeah, sign up. <laughs> Do it quick because yeah, we're still. Time. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a limited time offer of any time you feel like it. That's how you get uh, them. Yeah, that was really good. You're really smart. Thanks, dude. Hey, no problem. Let's go. Let's now we have to put back on our pretend voices for the podcast. <laughs> yeah, let's. I'll all right, put, guys. Th- hey, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you all for listening, and I hope you have a good Monday. Bye. Bye. Bye.